Hi, this is Andrew Godomsky, and that is... Jason Roberts. Hello, everybody. Ellen, this is Recruiting.Technology, and we are back after a little hiatus as Jason was off touring the entire European theater, and I was studying <laughs> for two weeks. Yeah, we we, all what, I was doing, what I was doing was gallivanting about. That was, a, that was a full gallivant. Yeah, you're gallivanting with your family and going to SourceCon in Budapest. I'm in New York studying Python for two weeks. <laughs> yes. So um, let's talk about Budapest's SourceCon. Yeah. This was the very first SourceCon ever in, uh, in Europe. And I've got to say, just did a killer job. They, uh, they had well over 300 people there. I, I didn't count, but I, I kind of got a feel for, uh, for the number there. And in the, in the room, it was like the people were so engaged, like the rooms were full. Um, my, my session was standing room only in the end. Um, they, they did a great job of, of promoting it. The people who came were just so much more deeply engaged than I, than I typically see at these, these conferences. Um, really, really more, more so than, would you say more so than the source cons like in Atlanta and, 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 and so on, or just different? Um, just different. So, you know, it's, it's an audience that hasn't heard some of the same stories a couple mm-hmm. of times. So, you know, the, uh, I'm not, I'm, I'm not a, in the trenches sourcer. So those conferences and the content's not made for me. So I tend to kind of, uh, float in and out, uh, of those deals. And a lot of times in the hallway outside of the, the main hall where people are speaking, there's, you know, a crowd of the regulars. There. Right. Right. <laughs> they've, heard, they've heard a lot of the stuff and that didn't exist this time. It was all new. The content that I heard was just extraordinary. Um, very different, uh, and, uh, solid content. I, I enjoyed it thoroughly. I thought it was well done and, uh, Good. beautiful location, just beautiful place. So I, I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the smaller conferences. I think that sometimes there's um, when you get to like more, I mean, like right now, Sherm is going on in Chicago yeah. and I don't know, there's 10,000 HR people at, at Sherm. I have no idea how many there are. It's, it's tremendous. Yeah. Right. But you, but, but the small, but I think that there's, there's this magic number between like 150 and 300 that somehow the learning can be a little different. Yeah. Um, and the engagement can be different. It's not as overwhelming. Um, it's hard when there's a thousand people in the room or there's 800 people in the room or there's 70 sessions, right? right? Um, when there's only two sessions to go to, sometimes when there's 75 in one and 75 in the other and 75 in a third, the dynamics are very different. Um, so that's good. That's good for source kind of, they, they were able to pull that off. So, so good. Yeah, it was it was excellent, very well done, and um, yeah, I was uh, I was I was thrilled with it. Uh, the the sort of people there are were um, it was a mix of some of the really stalwart like I'm at every SourceCon people. Um, okay. There were a few of those there, um, but then otherwise, you know, lots of new faces, um, which which was also was also good. There's a there's a few people that are sort of the SourceCon faithful that you see at every one of those. I sure I would be if I could, honestly. I I, I would go to every SourceCon if I could. Um, I, I find the content and the interactions really positive. Um, but there are some people that just they go no matter what. Like they will be there every time. Right. 
Right. Yeah. And, and, and you saw, you know, Angie and Holly Mallows and, you yeah. know, a bunch of people came over from the U S and you know, you're all kind of fomoing on Facebook as you're seeing all that. And they all, but, but that, that's, that's, that's really good stuff. Any big takeaways from, from just the European point of view that are different, maybe expand your mind on, on sourcing. Uh, well, there's an, ongoing, there's an ongoing GDPR drinking game, which was super fun. Uh, anytime somebody said GDPR, you had to take a shot. Um, <laughs> so that was, that was excellent. Um, there was, let's see, what else did they have? I, I think the, my big one, um, there was uh, there was a guy there, Shane, McCluskey. Yeah, Shane McCluskey. Sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he presented and uh, showed some of his Facebook stuff that that he has a well, some Facebook, but he has a free tool that allows you to basically lowers the bar on searching on several social media platforms. And apparently, everybody knew this, but knew about this thing, but me. And when I saw him, like, pull down some of the stuff he could pull down from Facebook, he did stuff like. Um, he pulled by querying in, in his tool, he could list all of um, Mark Zuckerberg's neighbors. <laughs> like it's just crazy stuff you can find out with, with Facebook's crash search. Yeah. Uh, and then he was talking about how you source using that in a different way because you're not sourcing for skills. You're sourcing for interests because people are, are putting in their likes what they're what they like. Right. It's not a skill. So there's a difference when you're sourcing for skill versus interest. I just found it fascinating. Absolutely. I think I'm, I was the last person to hear this. Everybody else seemed to be like, I've heard about this before. And I had not. I, it was new content for me. I suppose. Well, you know, you're, you're, you know, you're just on this other plane, right? So, you know, you, 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 don't, you don't step down that often. Now, I saw his tools. I think he actually, believe it or not, I think he actually posted um, in the SourceCon thread on Facebook, I think he posted those tools just the other day. Yeah, um, I'm going to go back and look because the Facebook stuff, like when I, every once in a while, somebody asks, what exactly do you do? And um, and I explain the, the technology piece, but when I talk about sourcers and sourcing, they're like, well, what is that? And my typical story is, you know how on all the crime shows, they have the little, they have the hacker guy in the back that, kind of finds out all the crazy things about all the people, all the people. Right. Yeah. We've got people that do that. Like that's, that's right. like the real thing. Um, so I want to use Shane's tool to just scare some people about this is what people, what happens with your data on Facebook. That's true. That's true. And, and you know, that maybe that's a good transition. You know, we were, you and I were going back and forth over the weekend about so, uh, not sourcing tools per se, but you know, how, because the tools and, and the technologies exist that are slightly different than they were, say, five, ten years ago, that the amount of work that recruiters do or sourcers do mm-hmm. or the barrier to entry is different than it used to be. And, yeah. Yeah. and, and, and there was a conversation. We don't, not, we don't have to go through names, but there was a conversation about, you know, you know, are you know, it, it's almost like the larger conversation around, you know, are our robots going to take over recruiting? You and I both agree that it's not so much, it's more like Iron Man than it is about, you know, completely outsourcing. Yeah. But it begs the question, there are all these tools. And so how much work should a recruiter, should a sourcer be able to do now? 
um, than they used to yeah. see a few years ago. Well, and on the macro level, the this came up. I, I think we should tell the whole story. So this, this is our Facebook conversation over the weekend. Um, by, by the way, my wife was looking at me just completely annoyed when I'm <laughs> sending these messages. I'm literally sitting by the pool sending Facebook messages to these guys. Um, but uh, but here's the here's the thing that showed up. A guy posted um, and uh, said, why are there so many great recruiters and sorcerers out of work right now? Right. And, um, and Nen from Hiritual chimed in and said, Hey, you know, I think it's, uh, and he, he specifically laid out a, a couple of scenarios and then was trying to be helpful and, and laid out a response. And I just playfully said, well, maybe it's because recruiters are so much more efficient because of Hiritual. Right. And we don't need as many. <laughs> so, and I just, I threw this out there and the guy comes back and it's a very personal story, right? So he's saying, right. I can't find a job. I've been looking for a job for nine months. I'm a 20 year seasoned veteran and in, in the space and I can't find work, which was quite sobering. Honestly, I, I think I, at some point I just said, let's take our, because you jumped in, had a back and forth with, with Nin on sort of the philosophical value of, of the technologies we buy. Right. Right. And the fact that it's supposed to be driving efficiencies. Therefore, if recruiters are able to fill more recs, you don't need as many recruiters. That's right. Or, yeah, there's a natural formula that, oh, if you can do things faster with this tool, you can either do more or you can redeploy. Right. Right. And or you just don't have as many jobs to hire into, right? So there might not right. be many recruiter jobs out there. Therefore, you'll see more recruiters that aren't able to find jobs. You know, sort right. of the UED. Uh, to his original question. Um, and there was this philosophical debate on, on the value of technologies. Well, this poor guy, you know, it's a very personal story to him. Right. Uh, when I was like, oh, I kind of like messed this up. I peed in this guy's Cheerios. Let's not do this anymore. Let's take this debate elsewhere. Right. Uh, and, I, and I went offline with that guy too, by the way. Good. So, okay. So we, you and I both kind of did the stepping up that I think we need to do you know, to kind of see what we could do. But it, it did, for me, it also hit this tone of there is a legitimate problem around what do you do with the recruiters when, you know, when they can do a lot more or when you need less or as they, you know, or as they retire, do you rehire? All those questions over the weekend bubbled up to me too. Yeah. So I've got a, I've got some thoughts on this. Um, so, our philosophy is actually we're, we're not adjusting significantly um, recruiter productivity expectations. We're keeping those about the same while introducing uh, the technologies. And the reason is I think there's this piece of work that recruiters should have been doing for a while that we haven't been doing. Um, and there, there's two sections. One, I'll, I'll put into the advisory services bucket where recruiters should be, we hear the term talent advisors, but they really should do this. You just don't have time to do it. In fact, when I rolled out our tool set, we built to enable town advisory. So I, I've put together a tool set that brings market data, historic hiring data from all of our customers, right. also benchmarking. Um, we call it the town advisor toolkit. I rolled that out to the first batch of town advisors. The feedback was really interesting. The feedback was, I don't, I don't have time for this. I don't have time for this. I got to find people. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, no, it's, it's all the administrative stuff, all the things that, that, you know, because we're at the same time rolling out our big automation piece that, that we've put together where we've got lots of automation tools and bot based stuff that, that we're rolling out. And it was some of the timelines got sort of crossed where we needed somebody to start testing out the advisory toolkit yeah. early. Um, and what ended up happening is they hadn't gotten the time-saving tools yet. And they're like, I don't have time to do that job. I, I cannot be an advisor because I'm doing all this other stuff. Right. The good news is we kind of solved for that. But I think for most recruiters in the market, um, they haven't. And the automation, I think, is, is going to be the thing that opens up the available time for recruiters to end up playing that higher level, higher skill role um, providing advisory services. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think that, you know, you and I see a lot of the same sort of data. And so I, what I tend to see is recruiters who are stretched and it's not of a fault of their own. Most of it is a system is the systems that they're dealing with. They tend to skip the steps that are required for the data. Right. Mm-hmm. So not, not every hot, no, not every candidate that was sent to a hiring manager was marked as being sent to the hiring manager. Right. right. Not yeah. every candidate that goes through an interview has feedback in the system. You know, not every candidate is dismissed as they're actually dismissed by the recruiter we wait till the end. There's all kinds of things that we kind of hurry through that in moment, see like, I'll just get to this later. But then you, you know, you look at a recruiter's statistics, they may have across their requisitions, 1500 candidates that have applied up to seven, 10 days ago and have heard nothing. Yep. And then 30 days it's 2000. Right. And then the rec closes and everybody gets like that email saying, Oh, the rec closed. Right. Yeah. So, so, so there's a lot of, there, there's room as we do automation to, I think, improve that candidate experience, have that complete nature of the data and doing all the steps. But some of the bots and automations are also doing that. So as you move somebody from one stage to another, there's any number of things that can occur that automate some of that administration. And, I, there is this this bridge, right? So I don't think recruiters are going away as much as they're going to be able to fill these data gaps and then they're going to be doing some of the advisory work that you're talking about. Here's an example. Just this morning on one of our projects, and we've been playing a lot with what to do with this problem, mm-hmm. is one of one of the, the analysts came back and they're being like an advisor, like your job, like your jobs are, and they said, you know, we don't have the same sort of job descriptions and job postings across these three different positions that are all in the same division. But when they're posted at the same time, it creates confusion for the applicant. Yeah. Right. And like you would think just based on the titles that one reports to the other or it was a natural progression or a national uh, natural promotion progression. And that's not the case. And so the analyst, because they have time, was able to escalate that problem and say, you're, you're going you're gonna to hire dozens of these people a year. You're running so fast that we haven't stopped and analyzed how all these jobs interrelate. And I'm excited to see stuff like that happen for recruiters because normally it's like, I can't do anything without a job spec. 
The job's got to get posted. I got to start screening right away. There is none of this time to stop and hold and not strategically think, but just process the things right. that have to happen. Yeah, I, I, I think that's true. So, you know, I, while I think, um, I do think there will be some, init- some uh, initial sort of captures of time savings. Um, and I, I do, I think things like higher tool, what higher tool really does is it lowers the bar of uh, complexity so that if you're a 20 year veteran, it's going to be a little harder to find a gig as that will pay, you know, a bazillion dollars when you can give a more junior recruiter higher tool and they can write just as strong. No question. Right. Whether it's higher tool, Lucia, Intello, you can pick dozens of them. Yeah. And, and this gets even more complicated for the organizations that are operating globally because they can go ahead and, you know, someone can get a higher tool license and they can be working out of Bangalore. And, yeah. and it's a very different model all of a sudden, right? So someone who was making $85,000 as a 10-year veteran in recruiting and doing sourcing can get, I don't want to say replaced, but some of the research techniques that they tended to do manually are now being replaced with automation and tools and outsourcing at one eighth the price for a portion of their work, not all of their work, but clearly a portion of their work. And that's just a reality. Yeah. And what I'll say is uh, not necessarily outsourcing, but offshoring, right? So the, yeah. the offshoring is, is probably the better term there. That's so, yeah, you're, you're right on that. Uh, what I'll say about the offshore piece is, in theory, it sounds really solid. In practice, it's incredibly hard. So oh, totally. we, yeah, it's um, uh, we've we've sent things out and pulled them back in multiple times. Um, and it's a it's a sort of delicate dance on the offshore piece. Um, but you know, eventually, you you land the right the right mix. It does take more. It takes a lot of management. Um, I think that that's probably maybe something that's insulating some of the the exit of the volume of jobs that would be available for recruiters and sourcers in primary countries like U.S., Canada, Germany, U.K., et cetera. Um, well, well high, let's call it higher income countries. Call them higher income, income countries. But, um, but some organizations are making very big strides. Um, we've got a client. They're hiring 7,000 people in India. Um, they're, they're, they're putting up an HR infrastructure, no question. Um, they're considering putting in a sourcing, uh, a sourcing team that would not only support those 7,000 hires annually, but, but also potentially lean back into the EU and North America to assist because if they can source for India, why couldn't they also use some of those same tools to do some of the work? That's a legitimate business process to run down. Yeah. Right. I, I agree. I, when I look at this, you know, you've got the, the, um, our robots taking my job. I think that there's certainly recruiters and sourcers today certainly have some risk involved, but it's risk related to, um, uh, just the shrinking of the market as a whole, right? So um, people are getting better at this. Their uh, companies will need ultimately fewer down the road. Um, 
And I, I think the other thing is, from an employer perspective, um, this guy that, that we were interacting with this weekend, um, he, uh, he's been looking at, for a remote specifically, and I think some of the remote has been pulled back in-house for, for many companies. Now, we're still fully remote in my world. Um, I know many of the other RPOs are, are sort of thinking that way. Right. Uh, but uh, I'm also seeing RPO gaining a, a lot of traction, right? So um, I think that's good for, for most recruiters. Um, the, the super expensive hired guns is probably not good for, but the, uh, the you know, if you're a, a regular recruiter and you want to progress in your career and grow, RPO, I was, I was given advice a long time ago that um, I was working at Cisco Systems. Um, I ran operations for Cisco and Mike Silvaggi, who was uh, my boss at the time, said, listen, um, you basically run operations for me. Um, the next job for, for you would be my job and I'm not going anywhere. Ironically, he did very soon, but <laughs> he, said, he said, I'm not going anywhere. So you've got two options. Either I can help you find a generalist role so you can expand uh, broadly and become a generalist. Or if you want to stay a deep specialist in recruiting, go to a place that does that for a living. Right. And that's, I made the decision to go to a place that did recruiting for a living because um, I didn't like the other parts of HR as much. Um, and I think that uh, it's not a bad strategic decision for a recruiter to go and work for a company that does recruiting for a living. Well, right. And, and there's so many, right? So there's, there's, it's not just, there's obviously RPO that has expanded into 70, 80 companies, big and small quickly, um, probably more than that. And then, um, and then you've got all the staffing companies who have to recruit, right? So they've got to recruit contingent labor and there are hundreds of them. Um, and then, yes, there are companies that uh, have large-scale infrastructure. Um, they have not outsourced it. They've got a couple hundred recruiters. There's careers inside those businesses. But I, but I think part of what I see, Jason, is that maybe recruiters need to think about as they, as they age and they gain experience – they have to recognize that the maturity of the business that they're probably in is at a certain level and maybe it's a more advanced level. Not all companies are at that level. And so sometimes what ends up happening is we see a more experienced recruiter wanting to go into a mature organization like they had Yeah. with maybe what they should be doing is saying, take that expertise and go into a less mature organization. Right. Right. And there are lots of companies that we talk to, and you know, we do a lot of work in infrastructure and education and security, and they're like living in like night, like 2005. Right. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like they don't know, like they're like workday who, and what's a hire tool. Like, oh, can we get a hire tool? Like we need tools too. I mean, they have no idea. Right. Yeah. So there's all of this. Why don't you back into, Hey, maybe, maybe that concrete manufacturer, that you never heard of isn't as sexy as Facebook, <laughs> but they need stuff and you know, stuff. Right. And, and I'm not saying that people can't find a job. I just think that sometimes we tend to say, I want to go to a place that's very similar to where I'm working. And the thing is actually there's a lot of companies that you would be their first recruiter. Right. Oh yeah, absolutely. 
there's more of those jobs where it's like, you know what, maybe we should just hire a recruiter. We need like 40 jobs hired a year. And, you know, can you do everything? And I'd like to see more recruiters try to take on some of those kinds of jobs. Which, by the way, those are hard. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, you're in the, yeah, you're in the firing line. <laughs> you get blamed for everything. <laughs> It's like, oh, yeah, by the way, you have 20 recs open. Oh, and can you put in a new ATS for us? And, oh, we're thinking about an onboarding tool. Could you do that? And, hey, can you, like, replace our background check vendor? And, yeah, all that stuff happens. <laughs> it does. No, it's, it, that, that's absolutely true. All right. So um, you have been, you've been in, in class. Like, you're working on like a master's program. I'm shifting gears for us here. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. yeah. Program. So what I'm interested in, I, I've been watching your posts and like you're doing random Python stuff here and there. Um, are there any gaps in what we do in HR technology that jumped out at you? Like, Oh, why is not anyone doing something with X, Y, and Z? Are you seeing anything out there? Oh, right away. I'm seeing a lot of gaps. And I think the first one is really about uh, attribution. And so, um, you know, the way that, you know, and so, you know, I don't know, 15 years ago, you know, Jerry Crispin and Career Crossroads started like a source of hire report, mm-hmm. which was great. At the time, it was the right thing. And over time, we've kind of become enamored with like source of hire. And we haven't really cracked we haven't done a good job cracking the code on, well, this is actually where people come from and this is how much all the different sources and our branding, you know, attributes to, uh, to getting, getting candidates, getting hires. And, and I'll tell you the gap between what we're doing and people like you and I are kind of on the front edge of this, Mm -hmm. right? The gap between what we're doing and what they're doing in regular digital marketing is yes. It's tremendous. I mean, so just just while I was there, like we were simulating. And when I talk about simulating, like I'm working on models now that allow me to put in all the different sources, all the different brand assets, you know, the different types of Facebook channels and how you talk and actually figure out, you know, what's the ROI on all the different attribution and then run that through simulated models. So you can actually simulate, say you do 20,000 hires a year, you can simulate those 20,000 hires and all their applicants a million times over in a million different trials in using machine learning. And this is not, this is stuff that was invented a while ago. Yeah. yeah. And, and now we're, you know, so I'm starting to learn about, oh, wow. So I could take a business's brand mechanics, sourcing mechanics, their history, kind of pull that apart, put them into variables and then run simulations on, you know, and get an understanding of how it's going to be if they stay the way they're staying and understand how much these things count. Right. So does it make sense to post everything on Facebook, even though you may not get any hires from those Facebook posts as the last touch. Interesting. Yeah. The, the I other think thing that, was, that was a big aha for me, Jason, is that 
you know, we're not running those kinds of models as a standard. And there's a lot. And by the way, almost the entire employment, basically in a period of about a week and a half, I basically lost faith in almost the entire employment branding rhetoric yeah. inside our industry right now. That and, and a week and a half. That's why I came to. That and true recruitment marketing is just a huge gap. Like we yes. just don't do it well. Um, but I agree. I'm wondering if we should just hire true marketing people. Like bring the marketing tools that you use, hire true marketing people to to measure and manage. I'm wondering if that's the way to do it. I mean, I literally, I mean, I'm literally in the throes of, of trying to apply these things to the business. And I mean, the tools that, that I thought I was using are not necessarily the right tools. There's a lot more statistical analysis. There's a lot more um, simulation. Um, the dependency on candidate data is much higher than I thought. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that those are the big ahas for me is that, We've got, we, we have an opportunity, I think, as, as recruiting leaders to use analysis the same way that our IT professionals use when they're thinking about how are we going to move our data in the cloud, right? Or how are we going to communicate across, you know, a thousand trucks? Or how are we going to communicate and move these packets of data effectively? And so, you know, I don't think Workday, IBM, you know, any of the leaders in ERP or Oracle or Taleo or all those guys are, you know, they're not going to fess up that they're not doing this work. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Right. They're they're not, they're just not good at that, at that piece of the job. So we'll, I'll stay tuned. I'm interested to hear where, where you end up. Um, I'm shopping right now in that space a little bit. Um, and, uh, I'm not super happy with the, cap- with the capabilities of the tools and the providers that are out there. I, I think we've, we, what I learned, I think my, my crash course, what I learned, I guess, you know, first, you know, eight weeks of study and then two weeks of immersion. And then by the way, it's only gotten harder since then. <laughs> it just blows my mind, but it, it strikes me that I think analysis for talent acquisition leaders, if it's not on your 2019 budget agenda, that you are, okay, we need to analyze this data and come up with very strong decisions about how we're going to staff and how much it's going to cost and all those things. And we can't be dependent upon just the reports that sit in our system. We've got to do the work. That's really what it came out. I actually came out of there thinking very service oriented rather than tech oriented. Yeah, I think that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. All right. Um, so we just got a few more minutes before we have to wrap up. Uh, but what we haven't done is talked about Solo, the Star Wars movie. <laughs> so, so are there any I analogies? All right. So are there any immediate analogies related to recruiting? Because you had to, you know, this was, this was an interesting thing, how they all came together to do the work. No, that was all happenstance. This is just total nerd, nerd situation. I I saw this movie yesterday, right? So. Oh, oh, wow. It's fresh uh, in your head. Yeah. I just saw it yesterday. Uh, I, I left the country the day that Solo came out. 
Um, and I haven't had a chance to see it. And I finally saw it yesterday for the first time. Um, and I've got to say, I, I've seen some positive and negative reviews, but for me, that movie felt more Star Wars than any movie I've seen since the original trilogy. It yes. just felt so Star Wars to me. That that movie, so I, I'll admit, after I came out of Black Panther, which I thought was one of the best Marvel movies done in recent years. I haven't seen Infinity War yet, so don't blow it for me. Are you kidding me? Just relax. You, you took two weeks to see Solo. I saw it the first day. Okay, yeah. but, but you're months in. Like they're, it's, it's like at a dollar theater now. You're, you're nerd no, crazy. That's well. fair. fair. Oh, hold on. My, my mom just walked in. Say hi, say, say hi to Facebook, Mom. Hi to Facebook. <laughs> but, but you're right. I thought it was one of the best Star Wars movies. Um, you know, I think it was better than uh, – I thought it was better than 1, 2, and 3. I thought it was better than no, one, oh one two and three yeah well of course that right uh, I I thought it was sl- better than Rogue One because you identified with the characters differently yeah but I liked Rogue One a lot me too right yeah. because it was a single story with a little bit of a backstory if you're a fan. Um, and I like the whole that they brought Darth Maul back. That was very cool. And so, yeah, no, it was, God, it was so good. Um, action packed, swashbuckling. It was like, I was trying to convince my brother who, I don't know how we came from the same household. He's never seen a star Wars movie. I'm just, I'm not sure how that happened. He's eight years younger than me. So I, I kind of get it. You know, he's the age range missed him or I don't know. It's just weird. He was watching Sports Center at that point, and I didn't have time for Sports Center. Whatever it was, um, he hasn't seen one, and he's sort of anti nerd culture. I was like, "Listen, if there's ever a Star Wars movie for you to see, this is the one." It's uh, it was so good, and uh, it was the way I was trying to sell it to him. Is I said, "Space heist." That's it, space heist, and that's what it is. The whole movie is like. Right. It's, it's a classic. It is a classic. Um, a bunch of criminals are planning a score yeah. scene to the point where in the first three minutes, there's like a, a like a chase scene. It is right out of like, like it was like they took like, let's take the best like 10 movies that are about a heist. And what, what what's the plot line? We'll build it on that. And then we'll throw Star Wars stuff into it. That's exactly what they did. It's it's Italian job in space is what it is. It is the Italian job in space. It is the Italian <laughs> job in space. My mother is, is nodding. She thinks that's a very good analogy. So, yeah, that's what it was. Excellent, excellent movie. Um, so, sorry to take all of the listeners off on that tangent, but if you know us, you know we're going to hit the nerd culture every once in a while. Yeah, yeah. that's right. We're going to talk about Marvel comics, and we're going to talk about Star Wars regularly because. We're, we're a bunch of analysts and tech guys, but this is, but this has been recruiting tech dot technology. And that's part of our charm. Um, Jason, where are you going to, you going to be anywhere over the next couple of days, couple of weeks going anywhere? Um, no, I am, I am uh, grounded. I'm, this is, we're recording this the second week of June and I'm headed in. To, I have one more trip this week. that's not related to anything that anybody would care about. And then I have no travel July. I'm not like I've, I've laid down the law. I've made the request to everyone I know. 
Um, I've got to get, I've got to like do my day job and, and have no travel July. Yeah. I don't have any, I'm not really traveling the month of uh, June or July as far as conferences, but for those of you um, who are interested, the social recruiting strategies conference is being held in Austin during uh, I think it's the sixth, seventh and eighth. Um, so if you want to come to central Texas in the heat and sweat it out and talk about recruiting, way to sell it there. Come see the bats, come for barbecue. I'll be there doing my talent Congress. I think that's the next thing that we got going. Um, but then we'll be getting into, um, you know, as soon as, as soon as everybody comes back into school, September, October gets pretty hot with, 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 with conferences. So, um, September is HR tech and SourceCon in Atlanta. So and, um, I'm going to be doing higher conf with, uh, Jeremy Roberts, in okay. New York, which I think is also September. Um, but I'll be also going to, uh, I'll be going to London in August for to London School of Economics for school. And then in October, I'll be missing you guys uh, as you guys are floating around. I think it's for um, ERE. I'll be in Shanghai for school. So nice. Well, sounds like, uh, it sounds like we get the summer off is what I'm hearing. So I, I like the summer off. We'll be doing more soon. Thanks so much for listening to Recruiting Talk Technology. This is Andrew Godomsky, and that is? Jason Roberts. Adios, all. Adios.